Welcome to the Ship Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of news impacting the precious metals markets. It's Friday, April 14th. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. So, is the Fed pivot in play? Pretty much everybody seems to think so, right? With the CPI coming in a little cooler than expected, at least the headline number, and a surprising decline in producer prices in March, pretty much everybody in the mainstream is now convinced that the Fed is about done with monetary tightening. I mean, inflation is vanquished. It's lost the war. Inflation has surrendered. The Fed is victorious. And... That's how the markets are playing it. After the PPI data came out, the dollar fell to a two-month low against a basket of currencies. It was at a one-year low against the euro, and that boosted gold to just over 20 40 an ounce. You know, it's wild how backward everything is. Gold is going gangbusters because everybody thinks inflation is over. And when everybody thought inflation was a problem, they were selling gold. And we've seen this over the last year and a half, right? Every time that, you know, we've gotten hot inflation news or positive economic data, everybody assumes, oh, the Fed's going to keep tightening. We still have this inflation problem. And then we've seen this sell off, uh, sell off in gold. And then whenever we get cooling inflation, good CPI news, bad economic data, then gold gets a boost. Um, it's just kind of weird. Now, keep in mind, this is primarily the institutional money that is driving this. There were a lot of people buying silver and gold last year, as evidenced by the demand for bars and coins. But the institutional people, they're totally caught up in the Fed narrative. So I guess we should talk about the CPI report. Honestly, I feel like kind of a broken record on this stuff. I mean, if you listen to the show regularly, you could probably script what I'm going to say about CPI yourself. Um, you know, it's funny, there was a guy that used to complain all the time that all you do is talk about the Fed. It's called the Friday Gold Wrap. You ought to call it the Friday Fed Wrap. And, you know, he made that comment more than once, which I thought was weird. Like, if it bothers you that much, don't listen. Nobody's making anybody listen to this show, um, but uh, you know, I, I guess you know, there's always somebody that wants to sit in the peanut gallery and throw peanuts. Anyway, I do think it's important to look at this stuff because, let's be honest, monetary policy really is the primary driver behind the gold and silver market right now. And I think it's very important to look beyond the mainstream headlines. I mean, you can go on CNBC and they're going to tell you, oh, inflation is cooling, you know, uh, everything's going to be good. Uh, you know, I've seen reports saying that, you know, we'll be back to 2% by the end of the year. So there, there's all of this, this narrative that's out there. I think most of it is wrong. So it's important to talk about this kind of stuff. Um, if you're interested in gold and silver, this is the stuff that's driving it. And um, I don't know, you know, it may be arrogant to say that the mainstream is wrong. And I kind of get that because, I mean, after all, it's the consensus, right? It's the mainstream. It's the experts. It's CNBC. It's economists. It's Fed, Fed officials. How can Mike Meharry have the audacity to say that these people are all wrong? And I feel that sometimes. But then again, it's not like these people have a great track record of getting stuff right. 
You know, I mean, this is the, the these are the people that told us inflation was transitory for uh, all that time. And, you know, going back to the uh, 2007, 2008 era, um, you know, subprime was blowing up and the writing was on the wall. But everybody in the mainstream said everything was fine. Oh, subprime is contained. There's no crisis. And then after the fact, they were all like, who could have seen this coming? Well, I mean, anybody who has a grasp of Austrian economics, right? People like Ron Paul, Peter Schiff, they nailed it from the beginning. So I'm coming at this from a different economic and philosophical foundation. That's why what I say is so different. Here's the thing, though. If you go back and look at history, especially when it comes to monetary policy, people in my camp, people who I read, the Austrian economists, they're the ones that are right. And yet, the mainstream keeps saying the same thing over and over again, and they're wrong over and over again. So, I don't know. Maybe I'm not so arrogant. Or maybe I am. You can decide that for yourself. Anyway, you know, the problem with so many of these mainstream people is that they are locked into an economic paradigm that is wrong. And that's what I was really just alluding to. Uh, Sometimes I call it Keynesian claptrap. You know, they have this economic dogma that has blinded them to reality. I mean, you look at somebody like Paul Krugman. The dude's wrong all the time. It's because he's wedded to this not only economic dogma, but a political dogma that he often plays into. And, uh, you know, is, is basically, I guess, I guess you would call me a libertarian. I'm not, uh, I'm not particularly invested in either the red or blue paradigm. So maybe that's a little bit of a difference, too. Um, here, I'll give you an example of this Keynesian claptrap and how these people are, are wrong or they're just lying out their teeth. Earlier this week, New York Fed President John Williams said that the financial system troubles that required the massive bank bailout, that was not collateral damage from the Fed's aggressive effort to lower inflation. He said, quote, I personally don't think the pace of rate increases was behind the issues at the two banks back in March. Of course it was. The rapidly rising interest rates tanked bond prices and reduced Silicon Valley Bank's portfolio significantly. It had to sell a bunch of bonds at a loss. Now, why exactly did interest rates rise? Because the Fed raised them. But Williams said he viewed the trouble at the two banks as unique in nature and unlikely to reflect broader trends in the financial system. Oh, of course not. Now, this is objectively false. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago on the show. A study from Stanford and Columbia universities found that 186 U.S. banks are in distress in a very similar way as Silicon Valley and Signature Banks. So, no, Johnny, not unique. Now, There is one way that you could be generous and say Williams is correct. It wasn't the rate increases that caused the problem. It was the decade plus of easy money that incentivized these banks to load up on overpriced bonds. Now, of course, who ran the over... Uh, who ran the easy money policy? Oh, yeah. Williams and the rest of those Fed people. So... Now, you know, of course, most people are just going to accept what Williams says because he's the expert after all, right? He said that if it wasn't the Fed's fault, well, golly gee, it must not have been the Fed's fault. And that's where we get this almost a self-licking ice cream cone where, you know, the mainstream, they trust these people and they parrot whatever they say. And then when they're wrong, they throw their hands up. Oh, couldn't see that coming. Whatever. Here's the truth. Williams is either ignorant 
to the point that he shouldn't have his job or he's lying out his teeth. I'll let you decide which of those uh, things is true. All right, I guess we should get to the CPI stuff now. As I said earlier, the annual CPI was a tad cooler than expected. It was right at 5%. Now, even before the producer price data came out, I said this was probably going to give the Fed a little bit of wiggle room if it wants to pivot. But even with the CPI and PPI data, I still contend that this notion that inflation is gone away now, it's a mirage. It's an illusion. Or if you want to use some Fed speak, it's transitory. Here's the first takeaway for you. Despite the cooling trend, price inflation remains well above the Fed's target, and victory in the inflation fight isn't really imminent. Now, if you dig a little deeper, month-on-month, CPI was up just 0.1%, and that was better than the projected 0.2% increase. Another big drop in energy prices helped push overall CPI down. Now, that's significant because uh, if you have heard the news, the OPEC nations have decided to cut production, so we're seeing a big jump in oil prices. So we might not be getting that price relief in energy as we move into the summer. Um, but you know, for now, energy prices have contracted significantly, and that has helped push CPI uh, farther down. Um, core CPI now. The core CPI numbers actually cast some doubt on the notion that the Fed is winning the inflation fight. If you strip out the more volatile food and energy prices, and again, this is just kind of annoys me because, you know, I can't strip out food and energy prices. I don't know why the Fed gets to, but whatever. Um, If you strip those out, our core CPI was actually up 0.4%. And over the last 12 months, core CPI was up 5.6%. Now, that's actually a tad higher than the 5.4 or 5.5% increase that core was up uh, in February. Now, while overall CPI has fallen, core CPI has actually held steady in recent months, right? It rose by 0.4% in January. 0.5% in February, and 0.4% in March. So there's no cooling trend over the last three months if you actually look at the core uh, CPI. So, you know, maybe we're not in such good shape if you look beyond that headline number. Now, the mainstream's new favorite inflation measure, super core inflation, which strips out shelter prices along with food and energy, that was up 0.2% month on month and 3.4% on an annual basis. Um, super core, that annoys me more than core. Uh, you, know, you know what they could do? They could just strip out all of the prices and then we have zero inflation. And we'll make that the headline. Anyway, regardless, you will notice that all of these numbers that I have mentioned are well above 2. 2% being the target uh, that the Fed says it wants to get the CPI down to. Now, of course, all of these are BS numbers, right? I say this every time I talk about CPI. The CPI uses a formula that understates actual price increases. They fixed 
the CPI formula back in the 90s, and by fixed, I mean made it so it made inflation look better than it was. And if you base things on the formula that we used, was used back in the 70s, CPI is still closer to double digits than, uh, than not. So really, price inflation is still running very, 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 very hot. Uh, it's running pretty hot if you look at the new CPI, and it's running really, really hot if you actually calculate it using the old formula. Now, again, I mentioned this earlier, a 3.5% drop in energy prices month on month, along with a drop in food prices away from home, so in other words, restaurant prices, uh, those help moderate the headline CPI. The only other categories charting price decreases were used vehicles, which we've seen uh, them going down over the last several months, and medical services. In other words, most prices are still going up. And I will link to an article in the show notes page that digs into more details as far as the breakdown of the various categories if you want to geek out on that. Now, as I already mentioned, gold rallied after the report came out. As markets assumed, this cooling CPI means the Fed can declare victory over inflation and is about to ease off rate hikes. And the rally continued on Thursday with those producer price numbers. And uh, by the close on Thursday, you know, we're actually kind of in sight of that record uh, gold price, which is in the 2070 neighborhood. Now, I just realized I've talked about the PPI, Producer Price Index, and I never gave you those numbers. Uh, it actually dropped 0.5% last month, so a significant drop in producer prices. In the 12 months through March, the PPI increased by just 2.7%. Uh, that was the smallest year-on-year -year rise since January 2021. So, producer prices, which many consider to be a leading indicator of inflation, uh, those prices have actually fallen. Now, I don't think you're going to all of a sudden see, you know, companies start to lower their prices now that their uh, producer prices are dropping. Uh, that's not going to happen for a while, if at all. I mean, you're stuck with these higher prices forever. Uh, the question is how much more is going to be piled on top of it. Um, but, you know, I think what this does show is that tightening is doing its job, right? I mean, we're up to almost 5% interest rates. That's a significant hike in interest rates. We're seeing a constriction in credit, and that really picked up speed after the uh, bank failures. Uh, we're really seeing a constriction in loaning right now, and that's going to ripple through the economy. But even if we can say tightening is doing its job, we're not anywhere near victory. And here's the thing. They quit tightening when the financial crisis kicked off, right? Remember, the Fed and the U.S. Treasury rushed in with a bailout scheme that included a program allowing banks to borrow money using bonds that have been significantly devalued by rate hikes, despite what John Williams says. Um, they can use these bonds as collateral based on their face value, which is a sweetheart deal. And last month, the Fed added $324 billion to its balance sheet. That, ladies and gentlemen, is not monetary tightening. And again, it's important to remember the fundamentals. The Fed created nearly $5 trillion out of thin air during the pandemic, right? It created nearly $3 trillion following the Great Recession. It held interest rates at zero for over a decade, then barely started normalizing, broke the economy, and went back to quantitative easing before the pandemic even started. I think that's significant to remember. The Fed tried this before. They tried to normalize in 2018, 
and they couldn't do it. In 2019, they were back to easy money before COVID. Everybody wants to say COVID caused the recession. The recession was already in the works before COVID. COVID allowed the Fed to kind of paper over that and everybody to just ignore that failure. In fact, they just doubled down and injected so much more liquidity into the system uh, that it created the position that we're in now. Now we've got interest rates back up to 5%. They've jacked them up really fast. If those small interest rates, uh, the small interest rate hikes back in 2018 and the little bit of tightening that they did back then caused the economy to start to, to collapse. What are we talking about now when we're at 5%? So anyway, um, it created all this money to really kill inflation. They have to suck all of that liquidity out of the economy. And they aren't even trying. I've said this many times. The balance sheet reduction plan that they announced almost a year ago now, it would take seven years just to get the COVID QE off the balance sheet. We're not even talking about the QE that they did after the financial crisis in 2008. And they just added another $300 plus billion. So, you know, really, this inflation fight has been a farce from day one. Now, I will grant you this. The bailout seems to have stabilized the banking sector for the time being. I used the analogy uh, in a couple of shows back that they managed to stick their finger in the dam, uh, in the hole in the dam. So they plug that leak. But J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon recently said the banking crisis isn't even over. Uh, I talked about that in last week's show. And the collapse of those banks reveals the fact that this economy can't run in a high interest rate environment. If you remember nothing else that I say, remember that. This economy cannot run in a high interest rate environment. The bubble economy is built on artificially low interest rates and money printing. It needs money like a crackhead needs crack. And we all know bad things happen when you take away a crackhead's drugs. Very bad things. So I've said this over and over for the last three weeks. It's only a matter of time before something else breaks in the economy. Even if we go into this May meeting and the Fed surprises everybody and cuts interest rates by a quarter percent, something else is still going to break. Remember how long it took from the time that they actually started cutting interest rates before the 2008 financial crisis kicked off. They were cutting rates in 2007. They peaked out on the interest rate hikes that caused the whole mortgage crisis, they peaked that out way before the financial crisis actually happened. So it's coming. More things are going to break. There are already signs of trouble in commercial real estate. I talked about that in a recent show as well. Uh, In fact, a listener sent me an email today that said a 3,200-plus unit Class C multifamily portfolio in Houston, Texas was foreclosed on in the last two weeks or so. Apparently, nobody came forward to buy it at auction. So this is just one example of the impact that these interest rate hikes have caused to the economy. And of course, it's not just commercial real estate. There are all kinds of fine, uh, all kinds of problems. The entire economy is over leveraged. But don't worry, Johnny on the spot, William says it's not his fault and everything's fine. So there you go. The bottom line is the Fed is in a nasty position. It needs to cut rates 
as soon as possible before the economy and the financial system comes crashing down around its ears, and I think that's inevitable anyway. But even with CPI cooling, it can, can't plausibly claim victory in the inflation fight because it's still creating inflation. So the good news, I guess, for the Fed is that it doesn't need plausibility. The illusion will do just fine. So I do think the pivot is in play. But you know what that means, back to inflation. So inflation is one, right? Inflation hasn't been defeated. It's not waving the white flag. It's actually one. And this whole thing is a mirage. This is why I say cooling CPI is transitory. It's going to have to go back to easy money or the crackhead economy is going to go on a rampage. So, you know, even if you believe that what the Fed has done has been effective to this point, it's going to have to undo it in order to fix all of the things it's broken in the process of trying to unwind all of the inflation that it created. So what I'm getting at really is the Fed is in a lose-lose situation here. Now, before the PPI data came out, most people were still betting on one more 25 basis point rate hike at the May meeting. And we're still more than two weeks out, so there's a lot more data that will come in between now and then. We'll see how it plays out. But the truth is, while the bailout may have bought the Fed some time so it can carry out the inflation fight theater for another act or two, the bailout scheme was effectively a return to money creation and an end to monetary tightening. So I would argue that not only is the pivot in play, we've already pivoted, uh, at least in, in fact, if not in theory. Now, I know it's easy to get caught up in the weekly data releases, and honestly, I do too. Sometimes I look at the data, and I look at the short-term stuff, and I listen to what the mainstream is saying, and I actually question myself. But then I have to remind myself it's important to keep your focus on the fundamentals and the bigger economic picture. And that's where it goes back to having a good, solid economic foundation, a good solid understanding of the business cycle, the impact of interest rates, and the way monetary policy uh, manipulates the economy, and the fact that we are in uh, what is, in effect, a federal reserve and government-induced bubble. And that's the fact of the matter. The reality is the Fed has pumped trillions of dollars into the economy starting after the 2008 financial crisis, and then it doubled down during the pandemic. The price inflation we're experiencing today is a symptom of that monetary malfeasance. Now, there are all kinds of other things that impact prices and make prices go up and down, but at its core, inflation is an increase in the money supply, and that causes prices overall to rise more than they otherwise would have. That is the result of monetary malfeasance. That's where we are today. The Fed cannot fix the problem with some rate hikes and a little decrease in its balance sheet. As I've already explained, it needs to pull trillions of dollars in liquidity out of the economy to actually whip inflation. And it can't. By the way, the Treasury Department released the latest budget deficit data this week. We're just halfway through fiscal 2023. And the Biden administration has already run a $1.1 trillion deficit in six months. So we're on a two-plus trillion dollar deficit uh, trajectory. That's higher than anything that Obama ran 
in the wake of the Great Recession. Uh, it's bigger than anything that Trump ran until we got into the COVID era. Not that Trump was great. Trump was running Obama-esque deficits himself. But, you know, Biden's taken these deficits to a whole new level. And that's another big, big problem for the Fed. It's, you know, it's something that uh, somebody, most people aren't talking about. That's a lot of debt to finance with interest rates spiking, right? It's another reason the Fed can't keep interest rates at this level. Net interest expense is already at half a trillion dollars and rising. Again, the crackhead needs his crack. So the crack dealer is going to have to start dealing the crack again here pretty soon. So gold and silver both creeping up. Gold was up 9% in the first quarter. And it looks like $2,000 might be the new support level. We fell below $2,000 uh, for about one day and then rallied back above that level. So I, I feel like we're getting good solid support at $2,000. But, you know, there's still time to get gold at what I think is a bargain and silver definitely at a bargain. So this is a great time to talk to a shift gold precious metal specialist. You can do that by calling 1-888-GOLD-160 or emailing info at shiftgold.com or go to shiftgold.com. Go to the Getting Started tab on that page. You can talk to a precious metal specialist right there online if that is your preference. And just ask them, hey, how can gold and silver fit into my investment portfolio, my strategy for preserving my wealth, increasing my wealth? And they'll help you do that. These guys are fantastic. Uh, I highly recommend talking to them today. With that, it is a gold wrap for this week. You can get more details on all of these stories and more and keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week over at shipgold.com slash news. If you haven't done it already, you can subscribe to the Friday Gold Wrap, Apple Podcasts, Ship Gold YouTube channel, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, links to all of that stuff on the show notes page. You can email me, mmaheri at shipgold.com. Love hearing from folks. Uh, got some good tips and show ideas from listeners recently, so feel free to drop me an email. And if you are in the Chicago area, I'm going to be speaking there this Saturday at the Take Human Action Tour. You can get more info on that at TakeHumanActionTour.com. Appreciate you listening to the show. I'll talk to you again next week.